Hi, everyone. I'm so glad that you're here today. We're in week two of a, a two-message series called Wired, where we're exploring how God has wired each one of us. You, you know, you are the way you are, not by accident, not by happenstance, but by the divine creative genius of God himself. He created you and he saved you and he gifted you on purpose. And then he unleashed you in service to others. And so last week, we took a journey through the scriptures to see how God wired and authorized us to be the priests of a new covenant. And today, I want to make the case that we've also been sent out to serve others. Now, people come up with all kinds of excuses about why, can't, why God can't use them in service. So they say, you know, I'm not spiritual enough. I haven't been a Christian long enough. I don't know my Bible enough. I don't have time. I'm not qualified. But listen, God has always used unexpected and unqualified people to accomplish his purposes on earth. Like when you think about the original disciples, they were not qualified by any human standards. These guys were actually rabbi school dropouts. They did not make the cut. They were back working in the family business and Jesus enlisted them to change the world. But not only were they not qualified, they weren't ready by our standards. Like it seems like Jesus himself sent out his disciples way too soon. Like most of them were teenagers when they dropped their nets and followed him. That they would have barely completed our membership class, let alone Bible college, by the time Jesus was empowering them with major ministry responsibilities. In fact, look at Mark 3, 14 and 15. It says, and he appointed them, he appointed the 12, whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Guys, these guys were brand new converts. And he was sending them out to heal people and to cast out demons. Jesus entrusted the salvation of the planet to a group of really ordinary rookies from the start. Why? Because he knew they could do it. He knew that he was with them. He knew that he had wired them for service. He created them with the potential to change the world. And that trend continues with you and me. God has wired you to serve him. Your life is an extension of his mission. He is in the lead and you and I are following, which means you should try to always have a conscious awareness of what God is doing around you. What is he doing in your family? What's he doing in your marriage and your kids? What is God up to in your coworkers, in our community? Identify what God is doing. Open your eyes to see where he's working and then begin to walk in his purposes. But, but since our series is called Wired, first I want us to look inward. Like before you're sent out to serve, you must first understand who you are and who you belong to. St. Augustine said it this way. He said, men go abroad to wonder at the heights of the mountains and the huge waves of the sea and the long courses of rivers and the vast compass of the ocean at the circular motions of the stars. And they pass by themselves without wondering. What's he saying? He's saying we tend to look around at the beauty and complexity and potential all around us. And at the same time, we miss the beauty and complexity and potential inside us. There's a passage in the Psalms, Psalm 139, 13 to 16, that, that talks about the incredible creativity in which each person was made. I want you to listen to what David says in beautiful, poetic form. He says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Now I want you to notice, I'm gonna put a, a graphic up here. I want you to notice the shape of this passage. 
Like this is one of these incredible psalms that has meaning at face value, but it also has meaning through the parallel structure that the poet uses. He's drawing attention to what's most important through the, the parallelism and repeated themes. So, so the big takeaway here is God's creativity with each person. There's an individual design for each person on earth, but notice that, that two things are said to be formed at the very beginning and at the end of the passage. You were formed and your days were formed. You were perfectly formed for the days that you were created to live on this earth. There's a unique design both to you and your physical and spiritual and emotional makeup, but there's also a design for how you arrange your days, your life to serve God. That's the bookend idea you can see there in the parallel. But you were formed, there was a design. But notice that there's also parallel references to this needlework concept. He uses the words knitted and woven, both referring to needlework. And in both instances, the thing that is meticulously knit together is you. Notice, in the womb and in the depths of the earth, which is probably just another symbolic reference to the womb, that there is no question that you are not an accident, you are not random, you are not disposable. If you are knitting something together, it means that you're being very careful, each movement is intentional, nothing is being whipped together. So the psalmist is describing the intentionality of your existence. And then everything builds to this pinnacle parallel of the, of the passage you see in C1 there and C2, I'm sorry, C and C1 in the, in the shape of the context. He builds to the fact that this is all wonderful. I'm reminded of the creation account when God created and then stepped back and he said, man, that was good. So, so there are two things here that are particularly wonderful. Wonderful, he says, are God's works and wonderful is the way that you were made, fearfully and wonderfully made. What God created in you is wonderful. So, so you should remind yourself of this truth often. Psalm 139 is incredibly encouraging. But listen, this isn't some self-esteem mumbo jumbo like Stuart Smalley, like you're good enough, you're smart enough. No, no, that's not what we're talking about here. It's just that until you know who you are in Christ, until you get in touch with who you were created to be, you're gonna feel lost in this world. You're gonna start chasing your tail. You'll start attaching yourself to identities that are less than what you were actually created to be. Now, now obviously the goal of our lives is to become like Jesus, but I've also often wondered if God might ask you when you stand before him someday, why weren't you more like you? He's saying, listen, every part of you was designed with detailed precision. I know for me, I've been around plenty of prayer circles, like before a worship service where we pray, you know, God, I want you to get the glory today. And so get me out of the way so you can work. And I think that's right. And I think it's humble and it's death to self. And there's incredible truth to that. But there's also truth to a prayer that says, God, Will you take all the stuff that you've poured into me, that you've given me, the gifts, the personality, the experiences, the passions, the dispositions, and will you use the way that you knit me together for your purposes? Like, I want to fully live in who you made me to be. So, so there's this assignment from God that you are perfectly suited to complete, perfectly created to step into. And you might push back and say, listen, I can't possibly be used by God. Like, pastor, you don't know my history. You don't know what I did back there. You don't know how fickle I really am. You don't know how unspiritual I tend to be behind closed doors when no one's looking. I'm not ready. I'm not trained. I don't know my Bible well. So I'm just going to live my life, you say, and I'm going to use my gifts for myself and my family. And I'll leave the ministry stuff to, to the spiritual people who've been trained to do those things. But guys, those gifts and those passions weren't given to you by God to be used on yourself. They were given to you by God to serve others. 
See, most Christians think that the goal of the Christian life is salvation, but it's actually mission and reproduction. It's to accomplish on this earth what God has for you to accomplish. And so here's today's big idea. It's that every Christian has been sent on an assignment by Christ. Let me start with every Christian has been sent. That means that if you're a Christian, you are where you are because you've been sent there. You don't just live in Erie. You've been sent to Erie. You don't live in Florida. You've been sent to Florida. You don't work at Wabtec or Logistics Plus or Erie Insurance or Harbor Creek School District. You've been sent to those places. You aren't just a husband or a wife or a friend. You've been sent to your family and friends. You aren't part of Grace Church. You've been sent to Grace Church. See, you are sent. Jesus says it this way in John 20, 21. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Did you hear what Jesus said? He said, as the Father sent me. So just like God sent me, this is just such a rich phrase, which forces us to look at the idea of the God who sends. God is ascending God. Mission comes from the very nature of God. Mission is not a pri- primarily an activity of the church. It's an attribute of God. It's not the church that has a mission. Mission flows from the very heart of God. I've heard it said this way. God's church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has a church. He's ascending God. He always has been. So he sent Abraham. He says, I'll bless you, Abraham. But the blessing isn't supposed to stop with you. It's not just for you. So I'm going to send you out then as a carrier of the blessing to bless the rest of the world. You've been blessed to be a blessing. God sent Moses. He sent judges. He sends priests and prophets and kings. And then God sent Jesus and he sent his spirit. And as we just read, that Jesus then turns around to us and says, now I'm sending you. Like in the same way that God sent me, I'm sending you. And it sounds crazy, but God sends everyday ordinary people to do his bidding in this world. Why? Why doesn't God just do what he needs to do himself? Why does God include us? Well, God knows that we, his children, his creation, that we will only find our ultimate purpose. Like we can only find our mission in his mission. Our story will only take shape. It will only make sense when it's woven with his story. And so he sends because he loves. Every assignment from God has its origin in the heart of God. He's not assigning chores to his kids or making you and I do busy work. See, it was a common feature of of, of Jewish life for a father who had an important message to deliver to someone that needed to be safeguarded for that father to send, not just a hired servant, but to send his own son, preferably his firstborn son. And so in the most famous verse in the Bible, it describes it this way. It says that God so loved the world, out of God's love for the world, he sent his only son to this most important mission. It's love that drove him and continues to drive him to send and to send and to send. And Jesus says here, the sent son says to us, now, you, I'm sending you. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. See, there's no participation in Christ without being on mission with Christ. And this is, this is hard for some of you to hear, some of you who just kind of sit and spectate church. I want to tell you, that was never Christ's vision. I've said it before here. The church is called the body of Christ. It has a bunch of body parts. And some of you think that your body part is the ears and rears. I'm here to tell you, we don't need any more ears and rears at Grace Church. We need hands and feet. And so Psalm 139 says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You were knit together on purpose. And you need to get curious about how God wired you because he created created you with precision and care. And now add to that that Jesus turns around and says, now I've sent you out on an assignment. 
You have been sent by God to serve in your giftedness. And I want to take us over today to 1 Corinthians 12, where we're going to see one of the main outlets for that giftedness. And it's expressed in the context of the church. So 1 Corinthians 12, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, begins in verse 1 with this great statement. It says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. See, the Christians at the church in Corinth had written Paul a letter with a lot of questions. And what we have in our book of 1 Corinthians is Paul's responses to their questions about spiritual gifts and how spiritual gifts operate within the church. See, these people were not using their gifts well, and, and there was confusion, and so they needed teaching. And so in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Paul answers their questions. And I want to look at 1 Corinthians 12 to help you to, to understand your serving assignment. So he begins in verse 7 here, after he's listed off some of the gifts, and he says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Here's the first understand, and understanding I want you to see. It's that your gifts were given for serving others and not self. So, so many people take the gifts God has given them and they use those gifts for themselves. They make money with them. They provide for their families with them. They get a comfortable retirement together with them. All along forgetting that they've been wired so that their gifts can be used for the good of others. God is gracious. Now listen, he, he will often allow you to make a living from those gifts that he gives you. But you must also never lose sight of the fact that your gifts were given to you so that you could serve others. God wants you to be a re-gifter. You ever, you ever re-gifted something? Like you got a gift and then you, you, you generously p passed it on to someone else? Now, because I'm thorough in my research, I actually looked up this week the most commonly re-gifted item at the holidays. Do you know what that is? It's candles. Candles. It makes sense. If you give someone a candle, you, you can almost count on the fact that that sucker is going to get passed along to Auntie May next Christmas. Anyway, when it comes to spiritual gifts, God wants us to re-gift. My gifts were given to me to bless you, and your gifts were given to you to bless me and others. See, when you're a part of the body of Christ, the church, you were wired to benefit others. And so when our musicians play, when our prayers pray, when our administrators administrate, when our hospitality folks welcome you, it's not to draw attention to themselves. It's not for their own good. It's for the good of others, what Paul calls here the common good. And listen, it's not, it's not just spiritual sounding gifts that can be used to build Christ's kingdom. It's not just preaching and, and singing. It's things like accounting. It's things like data analysis and project management. They're just as spiritual as everything else. Like, for example, a couple of teams that I'm currently involved in right now pr pretty deeply. One of them that's getting our new online congregation off the ground for next fall. The other that's launching the Grace Leadership Institute next fall. The, these teams are being led one by Amy, the other by Sarah, two project managers that are unbelievable at what they do. Like they have real jobs out in the world, they're very successful in the marketplace, but they're also leveraging their project management gifts for the body of Christ. And there are so many people like that serving behind the scenes so that others might benefit. And often you have no idea of their significance and the significance of their small acts of service. But everyone is important. Let me just give you a little quiz. If you're at one of our physical locations, do you know the name of the person that helped you to find a parking spot this morning when you were coming in? Do you know who's teaching your children right now? Do you know the names of the musicians who were on the stage just a few minutes ago? Do you know the people who restocked the restroom before you got here? Do you know the person who said hi to you when you came through the door, who served you coffee this morning? Do you know the person who vacuumed the seat that you're sitting in this week before you got here? If you don't, like that would be a cool thing to do because every act of service matters. 
If you're watching on TV or online, there are people who produced the video image that you're watching right now. I'm looking at one of them sitting right over here. People who shot it, people who edited it, people who tried to make me look as pretty as possible, the hardest job in the whole church. People who made the backdrop, people who wrote the devotional materials that go with the series, people who gave of their time to, to record worship videos and that, that you watched and to process and account for the financial offerings that come in online or through TV. People who host the chat, people who follow up with prayer requests. It's incredible, really. And listen, you should thank God for all of those people. All these things are done by anonymous servants who choose to use their gifts, not for self, but in service to others. Here's a second important understanding that I want you to see. It's that your gifts create interdependence, not independence. So if you look down, Paul continues in verses 20 and 21 of 1 Corinthians 12. He says, there are many parts, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So what's he saying? He's saying the gifts aren't given to turn us into lone rangers. We depend on each other. Jesus is the hero of this story, and he's the only one who possesses all the gifts. But then he recirculates them back to the church through his children. And so we need to bring the contributions uh, and, and work with others in tandem with, with our contributions. And so the thinkers need the feelers, and the feelers need the thinkers. The organizers need the spontaneous people, and vice versa. The servers need the leaders, and the leaders need the servers. The behind the scenes need the out fronts, and the out fronts need the behind the scenes. And the introverts need the extroverts, and the shepherds need the evangelists and the hair on fire prophets need warm-hearted encouragers. You see, every part is critical. In fact, some of the most important parts are not the most prominent parts. Like I think of Jacob who works behind the scenes to train our youth in tech or Ed and Ron who hold it down in Harbor Creek, always faithful with great attention to detail in the tech department. You probably never heard of Jacob or Ed or Ron, but, but when you walk in, it all goes smoothly because of their faithfulness or Sean or Liz, who are not frontline worship singers, but the music happens because of their faithfulness, or Steve, who works behind the scenes planning experiences like the Monday, Thursday service in the commons, or Jonathan, who faithfully sets up and cleans up and locks up and makes sure that everything is ready and secure, or Daryl, who, who looks out for the safety of whoever's preaching at Grace because there are some threats and risks that go with that. Paul's saying here, listen, just because some gifts aren't prominent doesn't mean they're not important. And it's why the body is the perfect metaphor for the church. Because on your body, you, let's take your nose, for example. Your nose is quite prominent, some of you more than others. But, but, but you could lose your nose, it could get cut off. You'd still live the rest of your life just fine. Because while it's prominent, it's not that important. It's kind of cosmetic. On the other hand, if you lost your liver, if you lost your heart, those aren't visibly prominent, but if you lost them, you'd be dead. A lot of people think that if something's given a lot of visibility, it's the most important. No, that's not true. In fact, the stuff behind the scenes is actually more important. God says the parts of your body that you don't see are often the most important parts and more important than the ones that you do see. Think about the hand, like the, the, the thumb. The thumb gets a lot of attention. You can play thumb games. You can hitchhike. It's what makes you cooler than a gorilla. The thumb. How about the pointer finger? The pointer finger gets lots of attention in this life. The middle finger is fine. I'm not going to show it to you, but we all know it has plenty of helpful uses. <laughs> then there's the ring finger, the bling finger, the little guy that gets the royal treatment, wears all the bling. But what about the pinky? I mean, you know, wee, 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 wee all the way home. No, no love for this guy usually. But do you know that 50% of your hand strength comes from the pinky? The pinky is not really prominent, but just because it's not prominent doesn't mean it's not important. 
Listen, when one of those small parts doesn't work in the body, the rest of the body knows it. Let me illustrate. Have you ever had a really bad headache? I get migraines sometimes. Think about how silly it would be to hear someone say, you know what, today I've got a terrible migraine, but boy, my hamstrings feel terrific. (laughs) I mean, I'm having a bad head day, but I'm having a glorious hammy day. Have you ever heard someone say that? No, you have not. Why? Because the body doesn't work that way. The body's a unit. Like what happens to one part of it happens to the whole body. So if you have a migraine, the rest of you is shutting down until that thing is solved. The same goes when one part of the body of Christ isn't working. The rest of the body is rallying to compensate. And while that's happening, It means inevitably something else isn't being accomplished, like a need isn't being met, a life isn't being changed, a kid isn't being equipped with the gospel, injustice isn't being addressed. And so every part, even the smallest of parts, matter. Because your gifts, my gifts, are given to create interdependence and not independence. Here's the last understanding I want you to see. It's that your gifts should be used to their fullest potential. There's another passage in which Paul writes about spiritual gifts. It's over in Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. Paul says this. He says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. What's he saying? Well, we'll notice that with each gift that he, that he mentions, Paul is urging the person who has that gift to use it wholeheartedly, to use it excellently. And it's a simple reminder that gifts are meant to be developed and used to their full potential. I've always thought of it this way, that when God gives a spiritual gift to a new Christian, he gives it in seed form. And it's our job, it's your job, my job to feed it and to water and to nurture it and to grow it to its full potential. And so just think about the opportunities that you have to develop your gifts. Like you can read about spiritual gifts. You can connect with others who are using their gifts and talk about it. If you aren't sure where to start, we have a core class coming up at the beginning of June, both a virtual and an in-person option. Just jump into that class. You'll be able to take an assessment as part of that class that'll help you to discover your gifts. You can register at whoisgrace.com core. But more than anything else, just start using your gifts. You don't need to be a ready-made expert. You don't need to get it right every time. I said earlier, Jesus sent his disciples out way too soon according to our standards. You just need to start using your gifts and trusting God to do his work through you. Now, let me give you one commercial here while we're talking about developing your gifts. We're offering a bunch of just incredible courses beginning in the fall at the Grace Leadership Institute that they're gonna benefit, I believe, every Christian in our region who participates, certainly you guys here at Grace. But one of these opportunities I'll mention now because we're building the cohort uh, as we speak, it's for a master's program. Like you can get your master's degree right here in Erie from Wheaton College at an incredible discount. Wheaton is one of the premier Christian colleges in the whole world. And this master's is a master's in ministry leadership. You're you're gonna have access to to, to world-class instructors right here in our hometown. We're looking for 15 people who are gonna make up this initial cohort to go through a three, three three-and-a-half-year program together. You can check out more details at graceleadershipinstitute.com slash masters-program, or just reach out to me. But this is just an example of how we want you to use your gifts to their full potential. Now, if you've been around Grace for any amount of time, you've heard me talk about all of this stuff before. 
that you've been sent out by God, that wherever you are, you've been sent there by God. You've been gifted by God with spiritual gifts. You aren't supposed to just, that those gifts aren't supposed to just benefit you, but they've been given so that you can serve others, especially volunteering within the church so that the body of Christ might benefit. But there's one more layer that I wanna add on before we wrap up today. You know, last week we, we challenged the idea that there's this specific clergy class we said that in the New Testament model that, that everyone is a priest. Every Christian is a pastor. There's no such thing as the priests or the holy people and then there's everyone else. No, the curtain has been torn into. There's no longer a distinction between the sacred and the common when it comes to people. We are the priesthood. and In fact, we are the temple because the Spirit of God lives in us and He goes wherever we go. But I want to apply that same logic today to the concept of our work, our gifts and our skills and our passions that have been given to us by God. You see, just like there's no distinction between holy and ordinary people, what if the distinction was erased between sacred and secular work? Many people still make this distinction in their mind, and it goes something like this. They, they say, well, we come to church on Sunday, and we volunteer, we use our spiritual gifts, we, we, we do our thing, and Sunday is sacred and spiritual and focused on God. But when Monday rolls around, like that's my time, like I go to my real job and I participate in my personal hobbies or my family life. That's where, that, that's my stuff. God's sacred stuff is on Sunday. My secular stuff starts Monday. And, and God isn't as involved in that aspect of things. Well, Rob Wagner and, and Brian Phipps have, have a great section of their book called Find Your Place that describes this distinction. This image here shows the false idea that what happens on Sunday is sacred, but what happens on Monday in the rest of our lives is secular or not as important to God. That, that God is involved in the church and the ministry and the devotion stuff on that bottom level. But when it comes to my work and my social life and my family, like that's my stuff, it's secular. But Paul is consistently pushing against this dualistic idea of life in the New Testament. So he's saying things like, you know, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Or how about this one? Like, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. See, here's the thing. You've been sent out to serve, and you've been commissioned for a life of service to God. Your whole life is sacred. Rob Wagner says it this way. He says, your conversion was your commissioning. Your baptism was your ordination. And right now, one of the most exciting things that's happening is people are integrating the mission of Jesus into their workplace, their campus, their neighborhood, and the places where they play and shop. He goes on to talk about a, a heating and cooling technician that he knows who's, who's, who's doing it through something that he calls the 30 plus strategy. This technician has worked it out with his company to add 30 minutes to every repair or installment appointment because he's on mission for Jesus. And so he prays every day before he goes to work that, that, that Christ himself will give him an opportunity to invest into the people who own the heating and cooling units that he's working on. And he never forces anything on them. If all they want is business, then he simply uses the extra time to sit in his van and just to pray for those people. He's attuned and attentive to any spiritual needs that might be evidenced during his visit. I think of our very own Brian, who owns his own, own construction company, has been diligent over the years at hiring and giving work opportunities to people coming out of prison. Or to Sergey, who, who sees every interaction with a client as an opportunity to share the love of Christ with them. There are plenty of people who come to grace today because Sergey was the one who did, uh, you know, did work for them. Or Joe, who was telling me recently that, 
that, that he's being much more mindful and intentional about encouraging and speaking life into his direct reports. Like the people at work that he's supervising are gonna reap the benefits of his spiritual encouragement because he's recognizing that ministry isn't just a Sunday thing. Spiritual gifts are not just a church thing. Or, or there's Alina, who's a trauma nurse, and not only does she understand that, that any healing work that she participates in at the ER is, is she's just being a tool in the hands of a healing God, but she also shows love and care and gives lots of hugs to her fellow nurses who are under tremendous stress right now in the heels of COVID and, and so much of the frontline intensity that our medical community has been through. And here's the point, guys. You, you were knit together by a loving God created just a certain way, and then you were sent out on assignment by Christ to, to use those gifts to serve others. I think we all have to wrestle with the implications of what exactly that looks like in our lives. So, so let me just give you one question to ponder as today's next step. Here's the question. What is the assignment God has given me for the next chapter of my life? And I'd encourage you to ask him. Like, you, you won't know if you don't ask. So look upward. God, what do you have for me? Then look in inward. God, how have you created and gifted me to un uniquely serve you? And then look outward at the needs around you. Where has he perfectly situated you to serve the needs of others or causes around you? Guys, you've been specifically wired by God to make an impact in this world. What is that next assignment for you? I love you guys.